Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So uh, everybody knows that I hate my fantasy team. It's terrible. I did a really horrible job drafting it. I freaked out when all the players that I wanted, like Mika Zibanejad and Austin Matthews and so on and so forth, were taken off the board, uh, leaving me to draft people like Craig Smith. That said, 4-4-0, the tie with the impeccably named EK Loves Hot Dogs in week one of the ESPN Fantasy League. That's right. Do you see my logo? It's a star. Yeah, I saw that. And... And I saw your team too, and it's it's pretty good. Did you have a draft strategy this year other than our boss Chris Sprouse saying you should take it more seriously? No, my my draft <laughs> strategy was to check my lineups after week two, unlike I did last year. And you know what? Time will tell. I think you've done well, and also I think that you were definitely buoyed by the five goal performance by one Anthony Mantha, which definitely helps. You know so. what? I went to Red Wings camp. I drafted him right after. Some might call that inside knowledge. Some might call that luck. I would call it inside knowledge. I like the idea of you being so dedicated to your fantasy craft that you actually do a preseason tour of all 31 teams to figure out which guys to draft. I really up the scouting department's budget this year as a GM. <laughs> Coming up on ESPN Ice this week, we've got Matthew Shane of the Nashville Predators to talk about a great many things, plus early hasty assessments of teams that have gotten off to bad and crappy starts and also the Sharks. And uh, also, we're going to look into player versus player rivalries in honor of Drew Doughty and Matt Kachuk's heat, uh, plus Phil Kessel of Hot Dogs, Puck Headlines, all the stuff you love on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, 001 in fantasy hockey, national NHL reporter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've we've returned from our many travels uh, uh, in the last uh, week. I did a Vegas, New York, New Jersey uh, trifecta uh, to open the season. Could you find places to... you want to go to more? Oh, well, I believe it was the law of diminishing returns, Emily. Uh, mm-hmm. Vegas to Manhattan to Newark. Not to, not to disparage Newark, of course. We all know it's a lovely town. They just got a Whole Foods. Uh, but I really enjoyed being able to write about the San Jose, uh, Vegas rivalry. I really enjoyed getting a chance to see Vegas. I think if we were going to do hasty impressions of early season teams, uh, all, all those of us that, uh, ventured out on a limb and picked the Vegas Golden Knights to represent the Western Conference in the Stanley Cup final this season. Feeling pretty good about life. Though it's a real deep, good forward core, a pretty good defense when healthy, and a goalie, Marc-Andre Fleury, that is off to a, uh, a rather good start for them. So it, the, the hasty assessment, I think, of, of the Vegas Golden Knights is that they are going to be as good as advertised. And my early season tour included being in St. Louis for opening night, which was a great ceremony against the Washington Capitals. Both of those teams, by the way, I feel pretty good about. They look a lot better than I thought they might uh, early in the season, even though the Washington Capitals were my Stanley Cup final pick. Not a big deal. Did okay without Kuznetsov. Um, And then I went out and I was in Pittsburgh for Pittsburgh versus Buffalo, which is a perfect segue into teams that are doing a lot better than expected. (laughs) That would be Buffalo. Been there, done that. We did this last year. Uh, And then Pittsburgh, which I'm really, really worried about. And it's not just because of Genny Malkin is out again. Uh, 
Darren Drager says it should be about a month. It's a soft tissue issue. Soft tissue, um, yeah. like a Kleenex. It's because I was worried about them before Evgeny Malkin, to be honest. You know, I sat down with Jim Rutherford, the GM, and he's so adamant that their window is open, and he didn't sound like he was open to doing anything like the Rangers did, which is kind of tear it all down and rebuild as quickly as possible. He's just trying to retool on the fly. He mentioned that he's added 11 new players since the beginning of last season, which is a significant haul. Sure. They're just not exciting and they made this big deal over the offseason of being younger and faster and they were just getting run circles around by the buffalo sabers on opening night you mentioned we've seen buffalo do this before and we have seen them get up to hot starts before and then fall off the face of the earth uh due to various and sundry things i i think they're a one-line team at this point it's but they really got the big line. o yeah that's the thing they got the big o and Eichel, Skinner, i like that kid seventh all good pick. i like out of nowhere. Off the, 30 goals in the last year Got him off the waiver wire. Good thing I'm playing you uh, not this week. <laughs> yeah. Good thing I'll um, probably play you again later in the season when they're not good anymore. But you know who else Who else we've seen this before from is Pittsburgh. In, yeah. in the sense that every single season, there is a stretch of time when Malkin's hurt, or Sid is hurt, or Latang is hurt, and yada, yada, yada. And there's a part of me that thinks that no better team in the there's no team in the NHL better equipped to deal with the loss of a key player for a month than the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's also a part of me that realizes that this is the single worst supporting cast of players that have surrounded Sidney Crosby and Yevgeny Malkin maybe since they were rookies. Like, I, I appreciate Jim Rutherford doing the work. I, I acquired 75 players in the offseason. Fantastic. How many of them are good? <laughs> like, it yeah. is, it is, it is really a, a sad state of affairs when you look around that lineup and realize that without Malkin anchoring that second line, you were talking about a team that in some corners of that lineup is is, is maybe sub-replacement level. You know, the problem is Malkin is out, but Brian Rust is also out long-term. They've also got Nick Bugstad, who's out probably a little shorter than Malkin. And, you know, the guy, one of the guys that they get in this offseason is Dominic Cahoon. They trade for him from um, Chicago for Olimata, who's a very serviceable, dependable defenseman. And Cahoon, like, they try to put him on Crosby's line of the preseason. Like, it just wasn't clicking. He's all the way down to the fourth line now. Like, there's not guys to really be excited about. Of course, someone like Jake Kensel sometimes comes out of nowhere and, and creates magic for you and becomes yeah. a cornerstone player. So a little bit of concern for Pittsburgh. You know, we talked about it before on this podcast, the idea of, the Penguins at some point are going to fall into the Blackhawks King's abyss of decade long championship contenders that can't pull it together anymore because of their roster falling apart. Um, I thought it wouldn't happen this year. Maybe it does happen this year. Other teams that are in a little bit of trouble coming out of the gate. The Stars, as we do this podcast, were 0 and 3. Uh, the Sharks, as we do this podcast, were 0 and 3. I would say I'm a little bit more concerned about the Sharks right now. The fact that, yeah, Evander Kane was out of the lineup because he did a bad, bad thing with a referee um, or a linesman. And they only managed three goals in their first three games, two of them against a very good Vegas Golden Knights team. But they just look their age right now. Their goaltending, never good. Dallas is pretty good. I'm not worried about that. And... The loss of Joe Pavelski, which, I, again, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about two teams off to bad starts and Pavelski being the shared DNA between them. There's still a part of me that feels like the Sharks... You know, the Sharks had to deal with, with, with Patrick Marlowe leaving, and that was one level of, wow, things have changed. Pavelski leaving is a whole different level of, wow, things have changed. I, I feel like it is going to take some time for them to recalibrate that locker room and, and also kind of figure out the chemistry test in that lineup to figure out how to replace what was a extraordinarily dependable guy on and off the ice. And I feel I feel like this start is 
is akin to the, the, the loss that I felt when I visited camp and, and them trying to kind of figure out life after Joe. So a team that's gone 3-0 and and have been impressed by is the Carolina Hurricanes. In each of their games, they've been trailing at some point in the third period and somehow find that grit and will to win. I think a lot of people in the league still have questions about goaltending for them, especially since Mike Bales has left. Um, but let's not get into them yet. I want to talk about the Detroit Red Wings because it would be our due diligence to make our boss happy. <laughs> our boss is a Detroit Red Wings fan. Are they for real? And can Anthony Mantha average, uh, what, he's on pace for 272 goals this year, roughly approximately? They're not for real. But I think the encouraging thing about the Red Wings, and much like the encouraging thing about the Rangers, too, who are off to a good start after being two, beating two passies, um, is that hey they're going to be fun. Who they are you talking about always, my Jets like that? The Jets are passies. They, they might, they're going to be fun. They're, they're not going to always win, but when they lose, it's going to be entertaining. And, and that, at sometimes, is all you can ask for. Like, you watch the Rangers play in those two games against the Senators and the Jets, and you get a sense that it's going to look ugly at times. As as uh, David Quinn so eloquently put it on opening night, you know, it's not always going to be a Picasso out there. Well, that's a very good point. Although I didn't really find that to be the most effective art comparison. If you look at a, a Picasso, it's not exactly, you know, the most well-composed thing. It's sort of abstract in its construction, and I think on most nights, the Rangers, therefore, would look very much like a Picasso. And, what, and that's good. You don't want to look like a Jackson Pollock. But if no. you can look like a Picasso, kind of obscure but interesting, rather than just completely chaotic and splashing around, you're probably doing pretty good for yourself. So they'll lose interesting in Seoul, Detroit. I'll, um, I'll, I'll say this about Detroit, though. Yeah. Two things. One, the top line is legit. They're a good top line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, you know probably still bottom half of the top lines of the league, but they're real deal. And two, I think there's an identity this year where they're just going to outwork teams, and sometimes you just kind of need those grinding teams that can wear other teams down and outclass them. Mm-hmm. I think we also have to mention, when you mentioned the Hurricanes, the fact that they held the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, without a shot in uh, an entire period and had two shots, I think, in the third period and the overtime against the Canes this week. That is the Hurricanes puck possession game being played to its full potential. And, and that's what this team is going to be able to do. They're, they're pretty scary good so far. Um, with the caveat being that the goaltending still scares the crap out of me, but everything else about them is real good. They're like, they're like, they're like the, 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 uh, full fledged, um, you know, dream achieved of the analytics community. Right? It's like it's like this is what we always thought they, a, a team could do if put together correctly uh, using Smarty Pants data, and uh, and lo and behold, that seems like what, what we got in Carolina. What I loved after that game was this quote from Steven Stamkos. You could tell he was pissed off, and he says, "We totally got outclassed by a team that was hungry to play, that had a game plan, play their structure. We continue to be the freewheeling team that thinks we can come into games just because we're skilled." I think Ugh. he compared them to the Harlem Globetrotters, which. I love a good Harlem Globetrotters uh, reference. It's not outdated for me at all. But I think it's interesting that that's the third one that I can count of this big state of the team address that happened in like the first week. The Penguins writers were all saying how interesting it was that Malkin after the first game, he was actually the best forward in that game. That was a loss. 
came out and did this speech that he usually saves for midseason. And Logan <laughs> Couture, I noticed, did it too. Uh, you know, he was saying he was embarrassed for all the fans who came out to their game and had to waste their money to watch them play so distantly. Uh, I know. I put that right in my veins. There's no better quote in the NHL than Logan Couture after a loss. I guarantee, I defy you to find someone else that's better. Because uh, literally, he's gonna he'll throw he'll throw himself and everything with an eyesight under the bus. It's the best. Uh, that's my the captain. thing about Stamkos, though, Emily. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got swept out of the playoffs by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. Okay, did they? I haven't heard anything about that. Sure, right. You come back to start the next season, and you have Steven Stamkos saying, "We're playing way too freewheeling hockey." We're not playing hockey the right way. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have you get being swept out of the playoffs by the Columbus Blue Jackets have been the alarm clock going off? Like the idea that, that they're coming back and making the same mistakes that they made in the postseason last year is insanity. And I'm telling you, man, like every time I think about the Lightning and I want the best for them. I'm a huge John Cooper fan. Stamkos deserves a cup. That guy's been through hell. I want I want this juggernaut of a regular season team to be rewarded with the chalice at some point. But every time I think about him, there's just something off. Because it went beyond last year with the sweep. It was losing games sixes and sevens against the Penguins and the Capitals. I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong about the Lightning. But is, do you think that there's something just kind of a little glitch in the system that's going to prevent them from ever breaking through? I kind of stand by my take from last year that I fear they're becoming this decades or whatever time period we're in version of the Washington Capitals, the team that is super talented, but just doesn't quite have the discipline to get over the edge. And I think it's just a mental block at this point. And then finally, we should mention probably that um, the Edmonton Oilers under Dave Tippett are 2-0 heading into a game tonight as we do the podcast. Fantasy pick James Neal doesn't look that bad. Does not look that bad. And the Colorado Avalanche are the new power play you simply don't want to face in the National Hockey League. Uh, they look every bit as good as the uh, on-paper prognostications were about them. Finally, uh, Toronto, I'm sorry, the Rangers are the power play you don't want to miss. Oh, well, well, no. You don't want to face the Colorado one, but you don't want to miss the Rangers one because yeah. it is super fun. Finally, two more to consider. I'll get to Toronto in a second. The Devils. I was uh, a party to the four-goal collapse of the New Jersey Devils on opening night. Inexcusable, even with the, the Corey Schneider injury. Uh, Taylor Hall, another guy with the state of the of the team address after opening night, talking about even when we were up 4 nothing, we weren't playing the right way. And that is a frightening prospect. Uh, if you're John Hines, the Devils coach, may or may not be on the hot seat. What do you think about that? Hot seat, John Hines? I think it's possible. I know he just signed an extension, but um, if you know, I think they still have a chance to be an okay team, especially because that division's just kind of a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. But if they get off to a slow start, and you know, Ray Shiro put all of this investment in to make this team good and to convince Taylor Hall to stay, and he feels like they're not going to get there, he's got to put his last ditch uh, attempt at hail mary at keeping Taylor Hall, and maybe that's getting rid of the coach. And it is interesting because Hall and Hines apparently have a really good relationship, so you wonder how that would factor into anything that Hall might try to decide. Finally, my Toronto Maple Leafs, my Stanley Cup champion Maple Leafs this season, according to my predictions. Mm, Are they facing the Canucks in the final? (laughs) Notice how I didn't bring up the Canucks being winless (laughs) off the hop, my playoff team. Uh, They're 2-1-1. 
always interesting. Austin Matthews on pace for I last check I think it's seven hundred and five goals this season. Um, One more than Anthony Mantha. What is your take on the Leafs out of the gate? I think they're a fun, fun offensive team. Um, I love. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I, I haven't studied him enough yet. But the this soup Russian boy? rookie, soup boy, soup boy is afraid to leave his soup uh, back in Russia. I this if anyone hadn't followed this story, it's the Russian rookie Greg Skuglia's name for me. Um, I can tell he is. Um, <laughs> and he uh, has an incredible first game for the Leafs and says he doesn't understand North Americans because they don't appreciate soup like they do back home. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, look, this is a really exciting offense. They're fun to watch. Um, defense a little improved, and it's both of our Vezina uh, favorite and Freddie Anderson. So mm-hmm. I like this team. I think they're going to be fun. Do you mean Ilya Mikheyev? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm mean, so sorry, Ilya. Listen, you don't have to remember Russian names if they have a cool nickname like Soup Boy. Soup Boy and Breadman, both Russians, it's it's like we've got an entire Panera in the National Hockey League these days. A good lunch, that's for sure. Indeed. Uh, speaking of good lunches, if you're ever in Nashville, do go to Hattie B's for hot chicken. And after that, after you've got a molten chicken in your tum-tum, why don't you head over to the arena and catch some of this next man plying his trade for the Nashville Predators. Here's our friend Matt Duchesne. Everyone in hockey media or fans or hockey Reddit or whatever it is has, like, speculated you to Nashville for some time, yeah, right? Yeah, Like, they found that you bought a property... Uh, yeah, they know you like last, country music. Last summer, yeah, yeah. Do you think it was kind of overblown? <laughs> yeah, I think so because I think uh, a lot went. And I think I think the reason why was because there was so many rumors. Uh, there was almost trades that happened. There was things over the course of probably the last four years that uh, um, a lot of almost. And and I think people know that my interest. Uh, they thought you know my interest in country music was the reason why I was going to end up there. You're not the only player that likes country music. Yeah, totally. I, I'm probably probably the most passionate about it in the league, but um, at the same time, it, that wasn't part of our decision. But the, the big thing about it was, you know, it just it's a great hockey team. It's a great place for us to live. It's our style of community and city and the place that we'd love to bring our little guy up in. So um, I think, yeah, I mean, it was speculated for a long time, and, um, you know, there was definitely some merit to that speculation. There was a mutual interest for sure. But uh, I definitely, even when I bought a property out there, wasn't I would never it wasn't ever to live in. I mean, it's a it's a small townhouse for an investment type thing, short term rental uh, type thing. Cause it's such a great market for that down there, um, and that my buddy lives next door. So I mean, that that was the case with that. So, um, but you know, it's uh, that place is going to come in handy right now. We'll move into our other place. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get in laws there or whatever you need. Yeah. Yeah. We're. Uh, yeah, we're excited. So, um, is it a little unnerving as a hockey player or just anyone seeing your personal like property records I go online? I was really upset about that because it made it look like I had the whole thing planned out from day yeah. one, and that was never the case. I was when I came when I went into camp last year with Ottawa. I was very I was committed to playing there, and and I thought that there was a good chance that I was going to stay there. And um, we looked very hard at that. And it was a tough decision to leave Ottawa, and then when I went to Columbus, same thing. I mean, we loved Columbus, and we looked at the, at Columbus right up until the end. So. Um, it definitely wasn't something that was. Um, once we got to the situ- like the point where we, we got to choose, it was uh, at that point it was obvious where our hearts were. But throughout the rest of that, I mean, I was committed to the team I was playing for for sure, hundred percent. 
On a scale of one to ten, how anonymous do you think you can be in public? One being no one recognizes you at all. Ten being you be swarmed. Depends where you are. Right. I think you can be a zero, and I think you can be a ten, depending on uh, where you are. So when you're in the city that you're playing in at that time, where would you rank yourself? Um, Nashville. I'm not sure. Nashville. Probably. I would say pretty low. I right think, now. I think. I think it's yeah. I think it's pretty touristy. Like around downtown. It, I know it's touristy because I've been a tourist there many times. So I think you'd fly under the radar there. I think there's other places where you wouldn't, but uh, I haven't really experienced it yet. So Ottawa, I'm sure, was like the 10 Ottawa, scale. Ottawa was, uh, yeah, I was up there. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think Columbus was probably, Columbus was actually pretty, like, they love the team there. Their fan base is really sneaky. Uh, it's a pretty pretty awesome fan base they have there. What surprised you about the playoffs last year and the market there? I couldn't believe uh, how great a hockey city that Columbus was. I just didn't know. I mean, you don't hear about, you don't meet a lot of Columbus fans like walking around on the street. But then in that city, my goodness, it was, it was, I've never heard a rink be like that in my life. Game four, when we, when we put out Tampa, it was like, I, it was deafening. It was so, we were in the room after all of us were on such a high because we were like, wow, we just accomplished something pretty amazing. And first time this, this franchise been past the first round, the city was just starving for it. So, very, very neat. Um, something that I'll, uh, yeah, have with me my whole life and, and some I'll look back on. So Tortorella, as he does, had some pretty strong comments recently. Yeah. And he pretty much talked about three teams who left and more or less words said, it kind of pissed him off because he's like, if they want to go win elsewhere, we've got a great chance here. What's yeah. your reaction when you uh, hear that? Um, I didn't take it personally. Um, we, He and I texted throughout the summer, even after I signed. And I mean, you know, I understand he's... He wants. I, I know Torts is like a guy that is all for his good players, and he wants to show that, you know, to his guys that you know he's, you know, right. He's still he's in there with them still, and, and feeling that way, and that's what he does, and that's what makes him a good coach. And um, you know, I didn't take any offense to it. I mean, I understand where he's coming from, and uh, he's a passionate guy. How's life with your first kid? It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Not as much sleep as I used to get, but uh, I think I'm more energized by him. Uh, it's. Uh, it's my. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life, and he's uh, just the sweetest guy, and it's the sweetest little guy. He's smiley as heck and laughing all the time, and um, yeah, I miss him when I'm gone now even more than I did before. Uh, we're FaceTiming the other day, and he like recognized me on the phone. He's trying to grab the phone. He's smiling. Just melts your heart. Um, a series of kind of goofy questions. Sure. What's the most Canadian saying? Uh, <laughs> um, I would say anything with A in it. Like, back home, it's like, uh, probably, how are you now there, eh? Like, that's probably the one that everyone says uh, the most. <laughs> I'm convinced it's sorry, though. You guys, yeah, maybe sorry, <laughs> I yeah. land in Toronto, and, like, people are just like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Deferential. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you chew gum during warm-ups or during the game? Yeah, during warm-up. Okay. Yeah. And is it that gross double bubble or whatever? No, I, won't. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I would rather chew nothing than that. I, I like uh, uh, the five uh, five gum, I think. Strive five, or yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah. Uh, it's that like the blue and black thing. That stuff's good. So do you have to bring it yourself? No, the team usually carries. It. I don't know what we have in Nashville, but uh, we I, we had something else in uh, Columbus. But in, in Ottawa, I had the, the the five gum. Why do you think that double bubble is so prevalent in locker rooms? I walk in there, I'm like, why does it still exist? Oh my god, I don't know. It's it loses its taste in 30 seconds, and it's like it hurts your jaw. Like I can't stand it. I would get a headache from chewing yeah, it. Yeah, I hate it. I wouldn't. I feel like your teeth are gonna rot out while you're chewing it too. <laughs> What uh, attributes do you think a modern NHL coach needs to have? I think it's one of those things where I think you want to um, you got you want to command respect, um, but do it in a respectful way. I don't think it. Uh, I don't think there's a place in in our game because we're all grown men, 
and we're all doing our best for that most of the time everyone's doing their best there should be and I don't think that uh, disrespect is a is a good thing I think I think uh, the best coaches have a way of uh, demanding from their players in a respectful way and I, I think empowerment I think showing that belief in your team and that empowerment in your team if you feel like your coach believes in you and isn't um, you know isn't if you feel like I've played I've had times I felt like I was playing against my coach more than I was playing against the other team and you're never going to get your, out of your team what you can with that so um, I think that's important feel like the guy behind you is behind you and 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 helping you towards your goal Okay, so I used to cover football, so I've noticed a lot of like cultural differences between the sports. Oh yeah. <laughs> One of the things that sticks out to me is um, in football, everyone wants to be called men. It's come on, men, like be a man. Yeah. Hockey, it's all boys. Yeah. Let's go, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? What's That's funny? What's with the word boys? Um, I think that that that's probably a Canadian thing because it's like. Uh, yeah, with the boys or let's go boys, you know, and I, you know, I think right boys. Say, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think it's very suiting too, because we are all just big kids. I mean, hockey, hockey makes you mature faster than anyone else because the situations you're in are unrealistic in this world. And, um, a hockey dressing room is one of the most hard places to, to learn how to fit in and learn how to navigate. It took me a long, long time to, to refine that, and I'm still working on it. I think everyone is. But uh, at the end of the day, we get to play a game, a kid's game for a living, and uh, we are all just a bunch of boys at heart, so I think it's very fitting. This is along the lines of promoting the sport. I think it needs to do a better job promoting the actual athletes. So I've been asking this to a couple guys. This is part of our player confidential. I'd just love to hear you on the record on it. Would you feel comfortable appearing in a big national campaign for, like, Nike or Gatorade? Or would you feel like, if that was presented to you, uh, this would be a distraction to my team? I'd be putting no, myself... I'd be in 100% because I think it's good for the game. I think you're right. I think yeah. um, us as... Uh, hockey players are marketed as hockey players, not as athletes a lot of the time. And hmm. that's where the other sports are different. Um, there's a lot of guys in other sports that are recognized as pro athletes and everyone knows who they are it's like oh yeah that guy plays this that's the second thing that comes to your mind but we're almost more hockey players first athletes second and i think if we can kind of change that way of thinking i think the game will grow uh one it's so funny one of the players is talking about that he's like we need to get guys even better just not wearing just suits and I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, fashionable suits, like NBA stuff. He's like, no, white sneakers. And I just looked at him, you walked in, you've got some <laughs> fresh go. white sneakers yeah. on. Yeah, like, I definitely won't be uh, pulling these out my first uh, few, probably few weeks or months or whatever in Nashville. But uh, I think this is kind of the way uh, the style's going with suits with the sneakers now. So I think it's kind of, I think it's going to be, uh, you'll see some guys doing it throughout the league. I think it's it's a good look. I like yeah. It. yeah, I tried the dresses with sneakers. I think that's my equivalent. Yeah. It, it can work. Yeah, it's it's the, everyone's doing it right now. So, I mean, uh, I think it's a good look. I, all the, yeah, you watch TV, everyone's, all those reality shows, the hosts are all wearing suits and sneakers. They look great. Obviously, that's the stylist. So, anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing on this. Um, you're, we're not traded for PK Subban. It was not one for one, but inherently everyone is going to compare you guys the next couple of years with this contract. Is that weird? See, I don't get that sense. I don't think that's going to be a comparison. Um, cause we weren't, like you said, we weren't traded. Um, I think we're different positions. It's hard to compare. It's apples and oranges and, uh, we're different people. There's a lot of differences. And, um, I think, I don't, I don't think that it's going to be, I think that's going to be something that is, uh, overlooked pretty quickly I think maybe it's fresh right now but um, he's a heck of a player and uh, you know a big personality obviously a guy that's done an amazing job off the ice uh, 
you know, given the leaks and personality and, and, uh, but wearing those um, white sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see that being a, a thing and I'm not, that's the last thing on my mind to be honest with you. Our thanks to Matt Duchesne of the now National Predators, formerly the Columbus Blue Jackets. I thought it was a really interesting interview. I was honestly taken away um, by how candid he was about how upset he was to find out that, um, you know, people online had been linking him to the Predators for so long, even posted his properties record online. Of course, he wasn't upset enough to take it on the ice, unlike the next guys that we're going to talk about, Greg. Because we want to <laughs> talk about the best on-ice rivalries going on right now, our heat check. <sighs> Yeah, heat check of player versus player rivalries in honor of the matchup between the Flames and the Kings this week. Uh, many, many people paying attention to what would otherwise not exactly be a game at the top of the pops for people because of the rivalry between Matthew Kachuk and Drew Doughty. Uh, this is a rivalry that has been on the ice. It has been off the ice. Uh, Doughty has been on the record saying he has no respect for Kachuk. Um, and then this, uh, leading up to the game this week, uh, Dowdy was talking about Matthew Kachuk and the rivalry and said, quote, I think we both know who the better player is. So if he wants to compliment me first, I'll give him one back. <laughs> Kachuk was then asked if he respects Dowdy. And he said he's a good player and had a good career, <laughs> which is wonderful phrasing. Uh, Dowdy versus Kachuk. Is that a is that a matchup that would uh, compel you to fire up the old center ice and catch a Flames Kings game? Is it an, enough of a rivalry for you? For me, it is. For me, the last couple years, uh, probably the last two years, really, um, it's been low key good. You've seen them chirping at each other from the penalty box. You've seen the stuff off the ice that makes it just as fun. Um, probably because of everyone's East Coast bias and because it's a Canadian team, it doesn't get the love that it deserves. Um, but the Kachuk boys are so feisty, and I just. I know this is the hill I'm going to die on. I just wish they were on American teams so that we could see their personality more. Like you guys heard Matt Kachuk on the podcast last year. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's unfiltered. He's great. Glad you said it, not me. Um, I think as we look at the player versus player rivalries in the NHL, in honor of our boss, uh, Chris Brow again, as we do Red Wing stuff in his honor and now do tears in his honor, you could do three different tiers for NHL player versus player rivalries. Okay? All right, let's hear it. So the first one, the first level of a player versus player rivalry is the competitive juices rivalry. This is a rivalry born of, you know, two teams in the same division and two great players playing each other. Maybe there's a little bit of heat from a playoff series or something. It is basically just focused on the on-ice performance, two, you know, rams running down the field and smashing their horns into each other and may the best uh, beast win. I would put the Sid versus Ovi rivalry, storied as it was, in the competitive juices one. It was a rivalry that the media kind of created. It was a rivalry sort of born of them both being drafted around the same time, um, you know, and entering the league around the same time, I should say. Uh, and you know, the league Peng- the same year. They did, right. So Penguins, Capitals rivalry, obviously feeding into this beast. But at the end of the day, they didn't really kind of crap talk each other all that much and uh it was a very much a rivalry that was based on those two guys doing their thing on the ice 
albeit not at the, at the same time because the, the two lines were even never even matched up against each other all that much. Yeah, so, and, and it's funny now seeing them because they're such tremendous respect for each other. And I would even I wouldn't say they're friends, but you see them at events like the Player Media Tour. I was just talking to the Penguins people, and they're like, "Yeah, like Sid was conferring with Ovi. They talk about them having to do this every year. They talk about whether they both should take it off. Like they're making joint decisions together. It's adorable. That, that's awesome." And also awesome was the fact that like they've now graduated into old man status in the NHL where they just like hang out at the all-star game and talk about the youngins during mm-hmm. the skills competition and stuff like there's definitely a mutual respect there. And that's the beautiful thing about the competitive juices rivalry is that eventually you get to a point where uh, you've battled long enough where you develop that, you know, th- that respect uh, amongst uh, warriors, as it were. So that's that rivalry, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a Jack Hughes Capocacco rivalry eventually enter in the competitive juices category. Uh, two two rival teams, two guys on the ice who don't necessarily like or, or hate each other, but will obviously go all out in trying to better the other one when those two teams play. Okay, so that's tier one. Tier two is where we find Dowdy versus Kachuk. That is your on-ice animosity tier. Okay, this is usually a competitive juices rivalry with the pest-like nature of one or both of the players as an accelerant. So, Mm -hmm. Dowdy versus Kachuk, competitive juices rivalry. Forward, defenseman, obviously going to have some, you know, interaction with each other based on how often they play. But when you throw in Dowdy as a supreme smack talker, when you throw in Kachuk being a Kachuk, uh, you all of a sudden now amplify the competitive juices rivalry into the on-ice animosity rivalry. And that's where you're going to see, um, you know, basically Brad Marchand versus the world is an on-ice animosity rivalry. <laughs> and so you, you need that extra level of, of, uh, of pest-like behavior from one or both of the players to get to this tier, which I believe is the middle of the three player versus player rivalry tiers. Now, so I tier one, argue. yeah, competitive juices. That's yeah. Sid versus Ovi, Tim Thomas versus Roberto Luongo back in the day. I think Matthews McDavid right now is tier one mm-hmm. just because they don't play each other all that much. And I don't even know if they dislike or like each other. Do you know who tier- I put in tier one too? Who's that? Matthews, uh, Patrick Kane as the battle for like the greatest American right now. I think that they're friendly and they train together, I believe, at Belfry yeah. last summer. But like, remember that game? It was a season opener in Chicago last year when mm-hmm. they were going goal for goal, celebration for celebration, and it just yes. felt fun. There was this mutual respect. It felt yes. almost NBA like in the like a little bit of showy. That one I'd put up there. Love it. Perfect. Okay. The second one, the category you're talking about too, the guys who hate each other. We haven't mentioned it yet, but the one that's even greater than Doubting Kachuk. It's the one in your neck of the woods. Ryan Reeves versus one Evander Kane. Ah, but that's because that's tier three. Ooh. That is the ultimate tier. Okay. That is beyond competitive juices, beyond on ice animosity. It's the WWE tier. It's the actual in real life hatred tier. Like they might the, punch each other if they're at the same bar. Yes. The actual IRL hatred tier. In talking to Ryan Reeves about Evander Kane last week, it becomes quite apparent that this is not a hockey-related rivalry. (laughs) This is heading all the way back to juniors. This is basically, I don't like the guy. It's not, I don't like the player. Oh, he's so tough to play against. It is, I don't like him. On a personal, basic, human level, I don't like him. And I imagine it's probably the same thing for Evander Kane. You know, Ryan Reeves was asked last week when I was at uh, at uh, the Knights Home Opener, 
do you ever envision a time where you might grab a beer with Evander Kane? Because in the past, Ryan Napa? Reeves has had battles with players. Yeah. And eventually kind of just like became friends and sort of just chatted about it after, you know, the season off the ice or whatever. And he's just like, I don't see a situation where I'm grabbing a beer with Evander Kane. It is the IRL hatred tier. The most intense player versus player rivalry tier that you could possibly find. Now, here's the question. Before he uh, basically had his career end because of injuries, where would you have put Ryan Kessler and Ryan Johansson? Mm, that On one Ice was... Animosity or actual IRL? Uh, I think that was actual IRL. I remember it was my first year on the beat, and it was the player media tour, and that was after the summer where Kessler, I want to get this right, Kessler had tweeted at Johansson, correct? Right. Out of the blue, and what was the tweet? It was, it was, I forget the exact actual, actual wording of it, but it was sort of like talking smack on his game. Yeah. And it was like on a random July day, just like added to him. And, um, I remember Frank Cervalli was in the room with me. We asked Johansson about it and he, Johansson about it and made him sound so much more Swedish than he is. <laughs> um, good old Canadian boy. And we're like, Ryan, like, what was that about? And he's like, honestly, I have no idea. And that's mm-hmm. actually a pretty good Ryan Johansson impression. He's like, me and my buddies were like so confused. We were drunk. I just looked at my Twitter and I was like, what? <laughs> so definitely- I think that one is like a real one because it's confusing and it's clear that they both are thinking about each other in non-hockey times. He's definitely someone who enjoys the off season. Uh, Br- uh, Brandon Dubinsky and Sidney Crosby back in the day was definitely an on-ice animosity rivalry. Mm. Uh, one of the more lopsided player versus player rivalries I think you could possibly imagine, but definitely on the list. But, Do you know what's uh, a fun one right now? Which one? Capitals players versus Rod Brindamore. <laughs> they think he's been chirping him on the bench. And you know, I just wrote a big story on Rod Brindamore that's going to come out this week. And it pretty much is all the players being like, yeah, he's fitter than all of us. He could probably jump on the ice today. He's 49 years old. I'd love to see him suit up for the Canes this year in one of the games against the Carolina, uh, the Washington Capitals. Oh, if you're going off the ice, I mean, let's include Pete DeBoer versus Gerard Gallant. Mm, uh, that that might one. be actual. From what I hear, it, there was a time when I thought that was on ice animosity, but the, after being around those teams, pretty sure that's actual IRL hatred between Pete DeBoer and Gerard Gallant, who has no love for Pete DeBoer, from what I understand. Um, Alan Walsh and Jack Edwards. Ooh, I would go. I would go on ice animosity. I feel like, I feel like Walsh doesn't like Edwards and his shtick. Mm-hmm. But I bet if you got them together, they'd have a lot to talk about, and they'd be they'd be like, "Look, we're all we're just two hockey guys talking hockey." I think no. I think I put that second tier. I think that Jack Edwards would put his foot in his mouth and say something completely offensive to Alan Walsh, <laughs> and he'd get all. I was a DA in LA, lawyerly on him. Right, Alan Walsh would be like, "Isn't Mark Andre Fleury great?" And Jack Edwards would be like, "Actually, I'm more of a Matt Murray man." And then they just come to blows. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the the genesis of this this week is that Roman Polak went awkwardly into the boards. He's an Alan Walsh client, and Jack Edwards had a really idiotic comment on the broadcast because they were playing the Bruins, and he said that was bad hockey karma, which is really disturbing to say. It's not the best look, but and it's also not the first time that Jack Edwards has extolled the virtues of you, you got what was coming to you mm-hmm. on, uh, on a broadcast. But he'll, I don't know. I've always had a love-hate relationship with the Jack Edwards shtick, but I come down on the side of love for the simple fact that he had the greatest call of, of the history of, of snarky calls when Roman Hammerlick, who I believe at that point was a defenseman for Montreal, um, took a dive during a play 
And Jack Edwards' call of the play was, Hammerlick goes down as if he's been shot. <laughs> and then, and then he screamed, get up. No. <laughs> so like, I understand that Jack Edwards is not everybody's cup of Joe. It's fine. Yeah. Different strokes, different folks. It's a certain amount of, of time I've got for his hyperbolic calls with the caveat that hockey karma for a guy who fell into the boards and you know is, is injured is not exactly a good look completely agree so there you go um all right rivalries fun wish there were more don't you wish there were more player versus player rivalries in the nhl I really do. And I feel bad because I like to crap on NBC for um, overplaying this, right? Like, that's their only marketing tools. Like, Sid versus Ovi, new versus old, like, player versus player. Um, but at the same time, there's a reason that it, it works. It is fun. And I do wish that more people uh, were a little bit more open off of who they don't like on the ice and um, would tell us about it. So here's the question. Yeah. With you having spent so much time with NHL players on various media tours and locker rooms, yada, yada, yada. How many rivalries do you think there are? Or do you think there's a lot of rivalries that we're not privy to? Like, do you think this stuff bubbles to the surface all the time? Do you think that there are some player, this player versus player heat that we don't even know exists? I think there's some players that other guys find annoying. You know, one mm-hmm. of the factors, like international competition, because they haven't gone to the Olympics lately, because the mm-hmm. World Championships happens during the year, like that's when guys get really passionate and you can kind of maybe see it carry over. And mm-hmm. there's really not that going on right now with like USA versus Canada guys or Russia, Sweden, like the Swedes and Finns have a friendly rivalry, but like, it's very friendly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, like them, we don't want the Finns to do well. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's one factor to it. The other thing is like, these guys all hang out. There's so much movement between the team. They all train mm-hmm. together. They all have buddies who played buddies and juniors. Like, I think it's a much friendlier league than that. In my mind, the Sweden-Finland rivalry has always been a slobs versus snobs, Caddyshack-like rivalry. (laughs) Like, I always picture the Swedes like Henrik Lundqvist, and they're very well-dressed and well-spoken, and they're very, Mm -hmm. you know, proper. And then I think of the Finns as dancing naked in a fountain after they win worlds. Like, I always figure that the Swedes are the ones that are just, like, at the country club and the the Finns come stumbling in with, you know, a 30-pack of Natty Light and they're just, like, you know, taking pisses in fountains and stuff. There really is a deep-rooted inferiority complex, though, between the Finns and Swedes. I mean, Finland is half the size of Sweden. I remember my Swedish friends were, like, during the playoffs when you're showing me all this old-school propaganda they used to put out about the Finns. Like, it's a real thing. Right. Um, yeah, and now, exactly. you know, the Finns are actually getting notoriety because they've got some good players entering the league. It's a great thing. And, and I always appreciate it. And I always appreciate, like, I'm not the biggest world championships guy, but I do appreciate how much it means to those countries when they do play each other. Um, and again, if it leads to the Finns dancing naked in the fountains, more power to them. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs. It's the segment each week where we take a look at the hyperbole, mistakes, and foibles of the hockey media. You know, Emily, you mentioned NBC Sports before. Mm. You mentioned the hype about rivalries. I did. You mentioned they don't exactly have a lot of arrows in their hype quiver. So... One of the things they like to do, of course, is hasty evaluations of things to try to get you excited to watch their product. Like NBC what we Sports did in the tweeted out of the show. That's right. That's right. The entire first segment of our show was NBC's plan to get you to watch the product. 
NBC tweeted out a graphic on Monday saying that 10 teams were perfect, their words, and asking if their team that you follow was among the undefeated teams. Uh, one of the teams, Emily, was the Philadelphia Flyers, who were perfect because they had played one game so far this season. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so I just wanted to give the Phil Kessel of Hot Dogs this week to the NBC Sports social media team for really playing up the old perfection angle. Stick around and watch our coverage to see if the 1-0 Flyers will win their next 81 games. Well, it's like the Oakland Raiders are undefeated in London this year. (laughs) Same, same. Exactly. (laughs) All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Uh, Dateline 25 under 25. Our good friend Chris Peters put out his insider-only list today on ESPN of the top 25 players under 25. And there were some spicy takes, man. First of all, in a world where we've come to grips with the idea that it is Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews for young player superiority, he goes and sandwiches in Nathan McKinnon in between the two, putting Matthews third. Do you agree or disagree? I'd actually agree. I, I would take McKinnon. If I was building a team for this year to win this year, I would take McKinnon over Matthews. Is that spicy? It's not the spiciest. I mean, as far as Taco Bell sauces go, I would say it's hot and not fire. I mean, it's a guy who's a runner-up for MVP not too long ago versus a guy who hasn't gotten there yet. Maybe it's the American in me. Mm. But I would put Austin Matthews second. And and by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but did you see Mike Babcock saying that there's a chance that Austin Matthews could be the most complete center in the National Hockey League, both offense and defense, which is pretty astound- an astounding claim? That was a good one. Uh, of his other omissions, you point out that he put uh, Braden Point and Matt Barzell over at Elias Pettersson. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I am stand for Pettersson. I think he at least, and I love saying his name correctly because it makes me sound like Sean Connery. Um, <laughs> I would put him over Barzell at this point. I would. Um, I just, I, I'm more excited by him than Barzell. I, I think Barzell will have a bounce back season. And then there's no Nico Hishier and Clayton Keller. And look, I am fine with not having Clayton Keller there. They were the only team that didn't have a 50 point score last year, including Clayton Keller. He, he just quite hasn't earned it. Nico Hishier hasn't earned it either. Everyone's predicting a big season from him, but what has he shown us quite yet that deserves to be this top 25? And I feel you on the Barzell thing. Like, I think he took a little bit of a, of a step back last year, not significantly, but enough where you wonder whether or not, um, Pedersen is should have been ahead of him in list again it's like barzell was 12th and Pedersen was 13th um so no thing there one guy that i thought might have been a little bit low based on at least the start for this season was dylan larkin mm. um he was 18th so i thought that was kind of interesting and rasmus Dahlin was 19th and and he was ranked ahead of miro heiskanen as the great young defenseman wars continue in the national hockey league see if i was building a team right now for this year i would take heiskanen I, you know, I, for the next ten years, I might take Darlene, but for this year, I want Heiskanen. I might take Heiskanen regardless. I know that's horrible to say. I know Sabres fans and overseas oh, as Greg, usual. Greg, <laughs> on Buffalo. I really like Heiskanen's game. I really do. I think he's just going to get better and better. Not to say that Darlene won't, but all right. Uh, speaking of Dylan Larkin, Dateline hockey butt. Emily, Dylan Larkin discusses fashion in a new ad for the Ann Arbor-based clothing retailer, State & Liberty. 
quote, I know a big problem that a lot of athletes and hockey players have is shopping for pants. We have relatively small waists, big quads, big thighs, and a big butt. Emily Kaplan, you have to be doing a victory lap right now as being the person who has put the hockey butt in the zeitgeist, allowing clothiers to create ad campaigns built around the hockey butt after your landmark reporting last year. Just want to, you know, backtrack a little timeline here. It is October. Usually players would do something like this over the summer in their off season. It takes, what, about six months to come up with a campaign, to come up with the idea. My article launched January 10th. It works out perfectly. Um, but, yeah, one of the great prides I've had in my life is guys coming up to me saying that clothing companies have come up to them trying to send them free jeans. Um, I love giving rich guys free clothing. It's, it's pride. <laughs> I'm doing my job correctly, guys. Thank God. Yeah, we're not the NBA. But we are the NHL, a league where people are creating clothes specifically for guys with huge butts. And in the most NHL answer ever, one of the guys is like, "Oh yeah, like I just didn't feel right accepting it." Yeah, I still love, I still love like the the thing you fleshed out about going to the department store and and having the struggles of trying to work with the people there to find the right pants. Oh no, no, no! It was I know it was Connor Murphy and him being so relatable, being like, "Yeah," and then. Sales lady was so nice and none of them fit, but I bought them anyway, even though no, I knew I was going to return them. <laughs> so Canadian, Connor Murphy. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Canada, Dateline Ottawa. Our good friend Katie Baker of The Ringer says that Eugene Melnick is the worst owner in pro sports. This is in, it's significant because this is a week in which the Washington Redskins turfed yet another coach continuing decades of losing seasons under owner Dan Snyder. What say you? Who is the worst owner in pro sports, and is it Eugene Melnick? You know, I still give the nod to Daniel Snyder. Um, one of the reasons is that he's so adamant about um, maintaining a racist nickname, but I also don't want to give Eugene Melnick any ideas. So um, it's, a, it's a one in one A. <laughs> That's that's the next hill to climb for Eugene Melnick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to aspire to. Uh, I still have to give it to Dan Snyder. I mean, there's a part of me that, that like, 10, okay, not 10, like, 4% of me respects the fact that Eugene Melnick kind of wants to make it work in Ottawa and is a guy who is willing to own a team in Ottawa where maybe it's not necessarily an NHL city, maybe given the circumstances around the franchise right now. Sure. So there's a part of me that that at least understands and respects that. Now, caveat, we don't know if there's other people that want to own any team in Ottawa because until he decides he wants to sell, we don't know anybody who's going to step up. We don't know what kind of like, you know, Justice League Daniel Alfredson's going to compile to try to buy this team and save we don't it. Know, yeah, we also don't know what kind of granddaughter everyone's going to invent for Robert Kraft next. Right. <laughs> could, you, could you explain that story, by the way? That was yeah. an amazing thing that happened this week. There was um, some incredible uh, rumors that emerged that Robert Kraft was looking into buying the senators. And apparently, like, his granddaughter, Catherine, had made contact with someone. And then there's, like, this an amazing tweet where, like, the Patriots have said that Robert Kraft does not have a granddaughter named Catherine. <laughs> yes. So, so that's how bogus it was. And there's the rub with Robert Kraft. Uh, so the <laughs> – I would go Daniel Snyder first and then Eugene Melnick second. Mm-hmm. Um, if only because the the Washington football team has used to be a standard bearer for the National Football League as far as like being a prestige franchise, and he's just mismanagement into the ground. 
So I would go there. Finally, Dateline Gronk. Rob Gronkowski has completed his uh, Pokemon evolution from being uh, a dude to an NFL dude to being a sports TV dude, uh, signed as an NFL analyst for Thursday Night Football. So the question is, Emily, which current NHL player do you want to see in the booth? There's a couple that came to mind. Um, as far as pure X's and O's, I think Patrick Kane would actually be very good. Um, I always tend to think goalies are really interesting. So the first guy that came to mind for me was Anton Kadobin. He's just a delight anytime you get to talk to him. I think he'd be really fun. Um, but, you know, someone I talked to this preseason, and I was just so impressed by how chatty he was and how interesting he was and how many good details and anecdotes he just kind of conjured up out of nowhere is Corey Schneider. I think Corey Schneider would be great. Oh, I think he'd be really good, too. Um, you often hear Keith Yandel, who I think was used on TV a little bit recently, would be a really good guy. Funny dude, insightful dude, plays obviously for the uh, Florida Panthers these days. Um, I, I wish that we had a Barkley. I don't know if we have a Barkley. I feel like I've been burned already with the idea that hockey's going to have a Barkley because I thought Jeremy Roenick would be that Barkley, and he very much isn't. Um, he's basically a stunt boy for a morning zoo show at this point. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a guy out there. I will say this. Were I a French-language speaker, boy, I'd love to hear Marc-Andre Fleury do a little bit of analysis. You know, he'd be like the antithesis, the antithesis of the cynical commentator on French media because they're all very cynical and chase people out of Montreal at all times. I like the idea of, like, uh, you know, a sunny guy, like a happy guy, like, oh, it's okay that they lost. You know, there are more games. I'd know? love to see, like, a morning radio show between him and Jonathan Marshall show. <laughs> right. That's right. Like, they do have a bit of a yin and a yang in that locker room, right? Yeah, Would and they're both great talkers. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan, our producer, chimes in with Biz Nasty is the closest thing we have to a Barkley. I, I, I get that. Um, I think Biz, I think Biz Nasty, and this may just be the, you know, media company kind of synergy, uh, more of a Pat McAfee type, maybe than a, than a Barkley type. I don't know. Barkley was, is, Barkley is so specific because not only was, Bar- is Barkley an amazing talker, but Barkley was good enough to, back up anything he says you know what i mean like no disrespect to biz even he would say he wasn't exactly a 10-time all-star you know so like what make what made barkley unique was that he was a guy who could talk smack on the air and then be like well I, you know what you know i was an mvp kind of thing so like it's uh I don't, I don't know if we had that guy necessarily in the league right now maybe matthew kachuk is budding to get to that point to tie this all together it's obviously sid <laughs> no just kidding what if Sid just gets on a broadcast? Is it incredible? He just talks back all over the place. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing about you know what's great about Austin Matthews is that uh, he couldn't hold my jock with a stepladder. Do you know who actually had the potential to be Barkley esque, where he could just kind of say something crazy, uh, probably not disparaging other players, but just something funny and, and back it up was Kuznetsov. Oh God, he's great. Yeah. He's a great talker. And what funny. we need is on funny. NHL TV is is not someone who can break down a player, not somebody who's going to talk smack, but someone who can sit down and be philosophical about things like Kuznetsov good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was my favorite when I did the story of all the NHL players asking, hey, Jalen Ramsey says that he can make the NFL in uh, NHL in six months if he trained. And everyone else is like, this is, you know, preposterous. This is offensive to our sport. And he's like, I'd love to see him try. We should take everybody. I love it. You have one guy being like, this, this defenseman wasn't in the right place. And this other guy being like, the coach should be fired. And then because that stuff's like, you know, the, the thing is, is that uh, bird cannot fly with effing broken wings. You know? yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Greg, Emily, and the whole NHL on ice team. This is Ad in DC, and I really am getting mad about the NHL's choice of musicians that they affiliate themselves with. Now it's Green Day. Last year was Kid Rock. I think they had the plain white tees in before then. Do they really think the best way to appeal to new fans is to go for death rock and emo bands from the early to mid 2000s and 90s? Is there really no Canadian act or hockey fan musician out there that's making good music in 2019 that they can't try, uh, tie themselves to? I really don't understand this, and it's really bothering me. Is the NHL, which needs as many fans as it can, thinks that the best way to get those fans is to hire a band that hasn't put out a good album since 2004, and that's just I'm being generous. Thanks, and I'll take my answer off the air. Clearly, not a 21st century breakdown. Fan. <laughs> this one uh, screams Greg Wyshynski take. Let's go. Well, well, well. First of all. Uh, I think we mentioned on the show before, like, the Green Day thing is is a complicated one because it's at least a band that people – it's not like getting Billy Idol for the Winter Classic, right? Like, it's a band that maybe has a little bit more cultural relevance. Billy Eilish, what? <laughs> um, and I don't mean to disparage the Billy Idol performance of the Winter Classic. It was actually quite good. Um, they're catering to their audience. I mean, go to any arena – and you're going to hear the type of music that Green Day plays. And I believe that's kind of catering to the audience. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe everybody in the arena is like, why do you keep playing this nonsense uh, and making us vote which POD song should win the you know, fan survey? Like maybe that's – maybe they've got it all wrong or maybe they know their audience. I will say this about Green Day. On February 7th, 2020 – during the National Hockey League season, in which Green Day has written and performed the anthem of the season, whose name I couldn't tell you if my life depended on it, Green Day has an album coming out. Now, typically, Emily, in a in a situation like this, the uh, band that signs the contract to get their stuff promoted by the National Hockey League probably would like the name of their album dropped now and again, correct? Correct. Do you know the name of the Green Day album coming out on February 7, 2020? Father of all MFers, except no, MFers is spelled no. out. This is the name of the album that Green Day has coming out on February 7th, 2020, through Reprise Records. And so when Doc Emmerich is, is talking about the anthem that Green Day has written for the National Hockey League and has to read that ad copy, what is that going to sound like? What is it going to be? Ah, make sure you go and pick up uh, uh, Father of all the MFers. Coming out on Tuesday. Like, what is it going to be? What do they even do with that? Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea. All right. That's the show for this week. Our thanks to Matt Duchesne. Our thanks to Ryan, the producer. And uh, our thanks to you. If you dig the show, go to iTunes. Review it. Five stars if you like it. And then drop a actual words review on the ESPN and Ice page on iTunes. It helps people find the show. And it impresses our bosses to see that people are digging it. Um that's all. I'm Greg Wyshynski. Emily Kaplan. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.